Hi, and welcome to that podcast episode eight. I'm Dave. And I'm Bo. And we have had voicemails. Um, we mentioned it in episode 7.5, that little recording we uh, we did at Symphony Live. But um, yeah, somebody actually called a voicemail, so I wanted to say thank you to Harry. Um, I'll play you a little clip now. Hi, this is Harry from India. I'm sad to hear that your podcast doesn't got any voicemail. So I just thought I would like to call you. And Harry also goes on to say... Um, Maybe the problem is that we don't have, or we don't say the number enough. Uh, I actually don't have it to hand, so... But anyway, you should check the website, because it's all over the website now, Bo? Yeah, it should be on every episode page. Yeah, cool. So anyway, at least somebody has rung, and that was that was nice. Oh, and also, uh, James Porter, a friend of mine, uh, it was him who, played, who sent us the prank call type thing. It was um, music from uh, the Nyan Cat. Uh, meme video thing so <laughs> thank you for that James any other podcast news what, what's been going on anything well, I, I, quick, I quickly looked up our number uh, just so that I could say it so it's uh, uh, plus one 979-353-0100 ah, cool. so if you do want to call and leave us a message that we can play online call one 979 or uh, go to the About page on our website or any of the episode pages. Cool. Any reviews? Um, you know what? I haven't checked. Uh, th- there was someone who said they left us a review after one of after the last time when we really went into it. Um, and we were really, really pushing people hard. And I don't know. Um, I haven't seen that show up. So I, I might have to follow up with, uh, I can't remember who it was. I should follow up with them on Twitter and find out what happened because it sounded like they had gone through the effort of actually booting into Windows <laughs> to oh, wow. install iTunes to go leave us a review. So it sounded like they'd actually gone through this whole big long effort and, you know, maybe we're just losing our reviews. Um, one thing that I've noticed about the, uh, the iTunes store is that it's, it really takes the whole eventual consistency seriously um between the itunes store the the itunes web links and the i uh the, the podcast app on the iphone um it seems like everything is always out of sync like when we first published our podcast the um the cover photo showed up like weeks later and but it showed up in some places like you know days before everything else so it's really it's very cashy yeah. So um, it's possible that we we have some reviews, <laughs> and it's just not showing them yet. So I'll, I'll, to- I'll double I'll, check with that. I'll be totally honest. I don't even know where to look because you can you can look on the website, can't you? Mm-hmm. I don't even, I don't even know the URL, or I couldn't see the URL if I go to our podcast on the website. So I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, but we do love reviews. It helps us know everything is going right. So um, or you know. If we do something really wrong, you know, and you want to call us out on it, that that helps too. So definitely. Speak. Speaking of of which, have you gotten more uh, reviews for your talk in London? I think I picked up one more in the last week, but that's about it. Um, okay. Just on that, you know, what I said about. Um, I think I mentioned it on the last show about the uh, the conference organizers sort of pushing people and reminding people about um, joined in. If you mm-hmm. should, if you look at PHP Northwest, um, who are like I think they're probably the biggest customer for joined in 
as, a, mm. as far as conference goes. The number of comments they've got received for their talks, like every con- nearly every talk's got double-digit feedback, and wow. and it really makes a difference. I think you, there's hundreds of comments on there, so that's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I've 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 had hit or miss on getting feedback. Um, I I I don't want to use the word jealous, but I sort of feel jealous about people who get a lot of feedback, like comparatively so. I don't mm. know what they do. Is it's either the talk is really really good. Or they've pushed it more, or it's the people who go to that talk. It strikes a chord with them. I'm not quite sure, um, but my 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 feedback is usually eh, kind of mediocre. I usually get at least one or two, but you know, then there'll be someone else in the next room at the same slot that will get like thirty, and you know, or twenty. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's the same with questions. I find uh, sometimes people just don't seem to have questions, and I'm not really too sure what how to feel about that. Yeah, you know, have you not been thought inspiring enough? Have you have you just <laughs> yeah. explained things really clearly and there was nothing ambiguous in your talk? I don't know. Yeah, my my um, so my stack talk I I did at Milwaukee PHP, uh, two weeks before Symphony Live, so it was kind of my trial run, um, and I I actually ran pretty long there, and there was a lot of back and forth and discussion and you know people asking questions all along, and I think my Symphony Live talk actually clocked in at like 40 minutes by the time I was actually done and I was kind of shocked like no one had any questions throughout and I only had two questions at the very end so I I had over prepared for feedback and questions and I actually had another another round of slides but everyone seemed anxious to get ready for this the keynote anyway um, mm. so yeah it's it's interesting when you don't get any comments at all like throughout and no questions and it's like everyone's like just staring at you <laughs> it's kind of it's a little unsettling sometimes yeah definitely so what you've been up to work-wise have you actually managed to get any work done obviously you finished your travels in europe and then back home yeah. to north dakota yeah yeah yep. well, i'm in north dakota now um work-wise i have had two three full days of work since symphony live or since the last time we recorded um i spent one full day working out of london um i I found a co-working place called the hub um there were two people that recommended it i i know one was um emma emma recommended it and one other person i can't remember who it was they recommended this yeah okay marcelo okay um there were, there were like three different people who recommended other places as well. Uh, we checked out the British Library. Uh, it's, uh, someone had said that the British Library has it's free and you can go there and work. It looked pretty packed though, like the the working spaces or the places that looked suitable for working. And I I've had I had such bad luck with Wi-Fi over um, between the hotels and the Airbnbs. Um, it wasn't very it wasn't a very good Wi-Fi experience. So. I, I was looking for something a little more stable, so I opted to just spend the day at the hub anyway. Um, and that was that was awesome. The space was amazing. Uh, it was actually reasonably priced f- for a day pass. I don't remember what it was exactly. I think maybe it was like 20 pounds or 25 pounds, something like that. Um, but it looked beautiful. I think I shared some pictures with you of the space. It was, um, yeah, it looked it was really nice, cool. yeah. Uh, work, yeah, actual work-wise, um, I've just been playing catch-up uh, this conference schedule is kind of crazy and trying trying to take a uh, mini family vac- uh, mini family european vacation um 
right in the like around a conference just really kind of knocked me out as far as work is concerned so I, I don't have a lot to report other than the fact that it's taking me a while to get back into the swing of it and uh you know i only have a week and a half before i leave for paris again <laughs> so i have a lot to do how about you how's your work been going been going good um not a lot a whole lot of interesting stuff i've been doing um I've been doing a lot of um, redesigning the UI, so that's been sort of tedious work. I'm just integrating stuff, really. Somebody else has done the actual design work and such. Uh, one uh, one thing I was going to mention is a bit of a mistake I made at some point. Uh, at some point, we decided to switch the whole site over to uh, SSL, which is a good thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Previously, we just made sure that login, any personal information, any billing information, always went to SSL URLs. Um, but the one thing I had forgotten about was um, we have a few incoming webhook type things. Obviously, we have them from our payment processors, but also um, we use a mailgun to process incoming emails. So we have a, an email address set up for our customer support, our customer service. Uh, that email address goes to Mailgun. They parse the emails, pull out the interesting bits for us, and then post them to a an endpoint on our website. And um, I'd forgotten to update the URL with them. So Apache was doing a, a rewrite for us on the URL, but they Mailgun weren't following it. Now, I don't know what exactly is in the spec with regard to posts and redirects. Um, I know a lot of browsers will respect it so if it posts to a url and you actually get a uh permanently moved mm-hmm. it will respect it and do it again i think something like that mm-hmm. but um yeah so for at least a month we weren't receiving these hooks as we were supposed to be doing so that was a bit of a mistake on my part and the mm-hmm. annoying thing was i do have metrics for these things so if I'd had them plotted on a graph somewhere, on a dashboard, I would have noticed and seen, but I didn't. So despite mm. collecting the metrics, I wasn't actually looking at them. And uh, You weren't actually doing anything with it. Yeah, so, uh, so that was a bit annoying. And uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, just wanted to mention it as something I did was stupid. But yeah, um, the other thing, um, not totally work-related, but the whole shell hot thing, have you been scrambling updating servers with that because I've um, most of our work stuff is uh, managed hosting so they took uh, the managed stuff but I still had to go through the uh, the unmanaged stuff and update all of those um, which is just a headache especially because I hadn't done distro updates on a couple of them so yeah so that was annoying yeah I've um, I would say I've fixed about 90% of the hosts that I use um, between my laptop and um, like I haven't done any of my virtual machines. <laughs> like you know, I have a lot of those. And oh yeah, I haven't done it, those. Yeah, I mean that doesn't. It's not a good excuse, but um, I have a lot of. Uh, I don't remember what its cute name was, but it's the Ubuntu eight point four LTS release. Right. Yep. Um, and that one has been a. Uh, I don't know. I, I I feel like I just need to decommission those hosts. Um, at this point, they're. I have too many weird one-off things on them to just turn them off, but yeah. I, the maintenance on those is just not good anymore. And 
you know, it was, it was one of those things where I, it was close to the end of the LTS cycle anyway when I installed them, but it was the most recent LTS available on those hosts at the time. So I was like, oh, I'll use that. Well, I mean, they, they were already basically obsolete. I mean, it was already four years after um, they had been released. So, or, well, it wasn't four years, but it was like three years or two and a half or something like that. So yeah, I haven't done anything with that. I and I haven't actually researched much as to like what kind of impact that has. Like, so it didn't get quite as much press as Heartbleed did, but some of the stuff that I did see, you know, headline wise was this is going to be worse than Heartbleed. And it's like okay, well, great, but I didn't, I didn't bother clicking on it in to to really learn what the actual problem is. Can you elaborate a little bit? Um, alright, so even I, I'm, I, I'm pretty much the same. I had got a quick idea of what it was, mm-hmm. realized I had to make changes and just did it rather than looking too much into it, but. Mm-hmm. So the problem is with Bash, um, evaluating the contents of environment variables if they are prefixed with a particular set of, uh, characters. And that can cause problems if you have services that use bash so if they shell out to something and that shelling out uses bash as the shell and mm. um, so if you're using fcgi or something like that and um, you could be vulnerable to things like people stuffing things in the um user agent header or something mm-hmm. um i'm not entirely sure of like any known exploits against particular um, software packages or anything like that. But I mean, I'm, I, sh- I read one post on Cloudflare about how many attacks they're receiving, you know, in terms of and what the kind of attacks they had a quite a nice write up of all the different things, you know, because they're just monitoring the traffic to see what comes in and so on. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't, I didn't read into it as much as Heartbleed. I just, yeah, I, I was set about updating numerous <laughs> servers. I mean, the worst one I had was uh, I have one free BSD server, and I've never even updated that at all. It just sits there chugging along doing stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So I was like two or three releases behind anything that's supported, so I had to do distro updates on that, and I've never done it before. And it's, it's kind of a it's a different operating system to to that that I'm used to. Uh, so that took a bit of time and effort, and I still don't think even think I've done it completely properly and well. I know I'm secure, but I don't think mm-hmm. I've updated all the packages correctly. But um, you know, it, it's yeah. working, so it'll do. Everything else was just Ubuntu boxes, so I just distro upgraded them and tidied up a few bits here and there. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I used I used to actually do a lot with FreeBSD. I, um, my operating system sort of went from just like DOS and Windows to see I think it the first Linux was Slackware that I used Um, kind of migrated from Slackware to Red Hat for a bit I think and then ended up doing a lot with FreeBSD Um, after I moved to California the ISP that I worked for um, all of the servers were FreeBSD boxes so I got really big into FreeBSD probably until like 2005 or so and then I started switching back to, um, I think I probably went straight to Ubuntu at that point. But yeah, FreeBSD is like a completely different thing. Like when when you're in it, it makes sense, but it's far more archaic, I would guess. I'd like, say so, yeah. You know, I would, 
did, are they still doing like the ports things and like yes. Make World and all that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. Like, it seemed like anytime I wanted to update anything, like some make file would be messed up or there'd be some incompatibility somewhere and like halfway through building like a dozen packages, something would break and then you have to start over from scratch. It was, yeah. uh, it was not, I, not nearly as nice as apt for, for all of apps downfalls. Like it does have more user, user friendliness. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, at one point with the free BSD thing, I had to, so one package depended on another package, but, um, I had to go and uninstall both of them before one would install or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and just in nuances, nuances that were a bit strange mm-hmm. to me. Uh, but yeah, it's still ports and there's a thing called port master, I think, which mm-hmm. will go up and d- update all of your ports for you. Mm-hmm. Seems like a massive job when you're compiling everything. Um, yeah. I do I mean, my first Linux experience was Gentoo. Um, mm. Or first, should I say, experience with Anger. I'd used Red Hat before that. Um, um, but yeah, using Gentoo, I'm kind of used to the whole compiling things. Uh, but yeah, it's so much nicer using a, a decent package manager. I haven't used the Red Hat and Yum for a, a long time now. I'm just mm. so stuck in the Debian and Ubuntu world. So. How, so how long ago did you start using Linux? I'm trying to think how old am I? 32. Yeah, so probably eight <laughs> to nine years ago, I think. Oh, no, well, hang on. So I was okay. using Linux My, uh... in terms of uh, administering a few servers at work ten years ago. And then in, over the next couple of years after that, I started uh, mm-hmm. you know, spinning up my own boxes and things to use it with. No, in fact, I'm lying again. Mm-hmm. No, just over 10 years ago, so close to 11 years, yeah. I remember when when I left university, mm. I worked a few jobs, and then I went traveling for a couple of months. And while I was traveling, I had a laptop uh, in my mum and dad's office running Slackware. With Din DNS running in some sort of blog. So there wasn't, uh, there might have been Facebook back then, but I don't think mm. anyone was using it. So I used that to post updates of where I was and what I was doing yeah. for my family to read and things. Yeah. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. My, um, my first Unixy experience, I think we, I think we might have, I don't know if we've talked about that, but. Um, my first Unix experience was on a, um, what was it? It was, uh, Irix or something. I don't remember, but it was, um, it was a university system. And, um, basically all I had was shell access and it wasn't even my account. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, it was someone else's account and I was using it to learn things. And that was back before I realized that I shouldn't use other people's credentials for things because, you know, I was in, I was, you know, 15 in high school and playing around with the university system. And it was, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot of things and that was back in the days of Gopher. You know, did you ever use Gopher? No. Do you know what Gopher is? Nope. (laughs) It's a, it's a protocol. um, I don't know the protocol very well, but 
the the user experience was very similar to like a text-based uh, web server or text-based web browser. So it sort of like links. Have you ever used links? Yeah, I use links quite often. <laughs> yeah, links. Um, it it sort of had the same sort of feel as that. Like there were like there were hyperlinks of a sort, but they weren't HTTP hyperlinks. They were gopher links, and you could link to different places. And uh, it had integration into FTP. So like if you followed an FTP link, it would it would actually FTP the file for you and things like that. Uh, so I, I did sp- spend a lot of time exploring stuff. Um, so my my first experience with uh, Linux was getting the disks uh, one disk at a time. Did you did you ever have to do that? Um, no. Like one three and a half inch no, disk at a time. I didn't get floppy. I was there was CDs around when I was started with Linux. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, it was it was um, you know, it was back in the time of modems and whatnot, and downloading you know 1.4 megabytes was a big deal and uh the 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 slackware distribution came in sets so like there was the n set that had all the networking stuff and i think the a set had all of the the core os and like the they basically they were like lettered sets and each set had you know n number of floppy disks that you'd have to download and install um so i used the the university shell to basically download all of these disks to the local system um, and then I snuck into the computer lab to actually be on site with a big stack of floppy disks to try and image them <laughs> onto the because I couldn't just copy them because you know they're actually disk images so I had to figure out how to do basically a disk image in DOS um, so I FTP'd them from my from this other person's account to the local machine and then tried to figure out how to disk image them onto floppy disks was quite an ordeal so it was it was a lot of fun when the first time i actually booted my my little slackware box and those i'm really happy that computers are easier now (laughs) like all of this stuff is so much easier but i sort of miss the the hacking and you know tinkering and trying to figure all this stuff out um i don't know what kids do these days for that kind of thing like do they have to worry about that anymore or is it different problems that they have to worry about now I don't know. I don't think they do. I'm too used to the the iPhone, or sorry, i i device experience. I think uh, you know they they want an app. They they click on it, and it's there in yeah, thirty seconds. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, that's one of yeah. one of the, the nice things about Gentoo for me because I learnt with Gentoo, um, and I learnt with Gentoo back when there was no such thing as the. Well, there was a Stage Three install, but I think you go straight to the Stage Three install now hmm. with Gen 2 whereas back then it was literally you got GCC mm-hmm. and you had to build everything from scratch um, and that was kind of a good learning experience I thought for myself and mm-hmm. I've just looked back on my blog actually to see if there's and there's an entry in 2006 is when I switched from Gen 2 on my desktop to Ubuntu so I don't know hmm. how long I've been using Linux on my desktop uh, before hmm. that but yeah, I do. You mentioned uh, shells at uh, university. I did use to check my university email through the shell. Um, there's no secure shell, so it was Telnet. <laughs> yeah. And that used to get me into the, the Unix system. Mm-hmm. And I used uh, Pine, I think, to read my emails. Yep, Pine. Still a I, thing, I used yeah. Pine as well. Yeah. But yeah, I, I found that easier than. 
using Outlook Express usually. So. Yeah. Which is why I was using on the desktop back then. Mm. Yeah, those those were good times. You know, I think that, like, um, the, have, have you done anything with, like, the Arduinos or anything like that? No. level things? The most I've done is a Raspberry Pi, and all I did with that was install um, Plex, which is a media server client thing to play videos and stuff. So yeah. not a lot. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if some people are getting getting some of that like lower level experience playing with those sorts of things. Like, pick up one of those and start tinkering with it. Yeah, I, I really wish that I had more time for that. My um, one of the people that I uh, work with uh, with Reflex Labs is really big into like the maker community and is always building things and hacking things, like physically hacking things. And it it's always sounds super exciting and interesting, but. I just feel like that would be like a rabbit hole I don't need to fall into right now. <laughs> it's like, like, I just feel like that would be so much learning and so much time. And I don't know how much I would actually get out of it, even though it yeah. sounds really fun. I think it sounds really fun. There's recently a hardware user group started up in my area. And I keep thinking about going, but I'm same position as you. I just think it's something I don't really have the time to get into now. So what I was hoping and thinking is... uh when Evelyn's old enough to start being interested in that kind of thing uh, and understanding mm-hmm. it, I mean, she'd be interested in it now, but not for long enough. Uh, I'd be, she'd be, give it ten minutes, and then yeah. if there's no instant results, then it's probably quite boring. So uh, I keep thinking I'll be able to play with things like that when the kids are old enough to play it. So I'll just have to wait. Yeah. So I've 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 been really behind on listening to podcasts, and in fact, um. I think episode six or seven, I think it's probably seven is the first episode of ours that I haven't listened to entirely. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've already gotten to the point where I haven't even been able to, to basically review our podcast. <laughs> Normally I like to listen to it right away, you know, and add some extra show notes or whatever, if there's some that are, are missing. Um, but so this is probably going way far back, um, to the, uh, uh, texting podcast. Um, what, I don't remember which one, but he uh, he was saying that he was playing with some like robots or some mechanical stuff with his kid, and found that he didn't k- kind of like what you're describing. Like he was he wanted to do that, but when he actually did it, he realized he didn't know anything. Like he didn't know enough about it, and like his son was asking him, "Oh, well, why does this do that?" And he he didn't know, so he started to like go down the path of learning actual like electronics. Yeah, you remember that? Is he, he still doing that? And to be honest, they haven't put out as many shows recently, or if they have, I'm behind. I'm behind because I've picked up another couple of shows, been listening to those as well, Mm -hmm. and my headphones broke. Um, My in-ear headphones, the ones that I'd use when I'm walking the dog and listening to podcasts, Mm -hmm. so I've not even been listening that much full stop. But yeah, he hired a... um, So it was a postgraduate student uh, studying for a, a... Oh, no. No, he was, he'd already done that and he was working somewhere, but he was a, he had a doctorate in electrical engineering and he'd hired him as a personal tutor mm-hmm. and was doing a couple of hours a week or something, wasn't he? Um, yeah. Um, that's quite interesting. I mean, I don't have the time or the cash to do that as well, but, um, quite an interesting experiment to see how much he can learn and how much he can pick up. Yeah. Um, I think he was doing that more for himself though than for, mm-hmm. I'm sure it will be useful to teach his son, but I mean, if it's, he's learning sort of degree level stuff, then 
probably a bit above and beyond. So yeah, yeah. Just it, it, what just what you told me or what you were just describing reminded me of his his story of like oh yeah I was playing with this stuff and then I didn't know so I went and did this other thing <laughs> that was going to set him off on this six month journey yeah. to to build his own computer chips. Um, it just he. he they always, well, he always sounds over the top. <laughs> you know, it's like he doesn't do anything like just a little bit. It's like no, I'm going to yeah. go hire someone and I'm going to learn how to do this all in six months while I do these other dozen things that he's working on. It's crazy. Yeah, the thing I, my only hope is uh, his kids are a little bit older than I was. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's, I, I hope it, that, 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 you know, that makes a difference. Uh, yeah. Hopefully we'll see. Because yeah, right now it's just not. <laughs> Not very easy yeah, to do it's anything. Not doable, like that. Is it? So um, I mean, go on. My my headphones broke too. My my really nice in ear noise canceling headphones um, on the airplane, and I I I was really really pretty upset about this. But there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. Um, I had them in the the in chair entertainment thing, hmm. and I was in the aisle seat, and some person walked by to go use the bathroom. And, and bumped my chair and it just snapped, snapped the little, little oh, hole off. No way. Yeah. I was like, and at first I just thought they knocked it out of the hole. And then I looked and saw that there was still part of it in the, the thing. I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> so, oh, that sucks. Yeah. So I, I'm pretty frustrated about that. So I don't know how yours broke, but I know exactly how mine broke. And, um, it was like a, really nice christmas present from my mom so i'm gonna have to, I, I think i got the replacement plan on it hmm. so hopefully they'll they'll replace that uh mine was mine's just wear and tear the uh keeps uh flicking out of uh stereo and mono so i get mm-hmm. left ear both ears left ear both ears and it's really annoying uh, yeah so, I, know. I i don't know if i can handle that yeah so in, in terms of actually doing extra things outside of work and just dealing with kids and family so if i actually have upped my amount of stuff I've been doing just a little bit. Um I was gonna mention this anyway, but DigitalOcean put up a post about hacked Hacktoberfest. Now I'd not heard of this before. I don't know if it goes on every year. But anyway, they're giving away um free T shirts to anyone who puts in fifty commits to a public repository in oct- during October. Uh they are doing it on a basing it on a on an honor system, so uh mm-hmm. you can't just, you know, push commit, 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 commit. Yeah. Uh, so I thought I'd try and do that uh, well, I'm not trying aggressively for it, but I've started up in my doing a bit of work on mockery a little bit uh, mm-hmm. for the open source stuff. Uh, cool. Partially because part of my talk was about spies in the um, in Symphony Live, and mockery doesn't have spy support. And I put out a basic implementation in February and said, I know I can get it to work, and it works fine. I just couldn't decide on the public API and how it, you know, finalize it. And I kind of left it and just totally forgotten about it, really. So um, so th- this week I just sort of sacked it off and just went with the API that I originally went with. Uh, it looks okay to me, um, and mm. Mockery's not 1.0 yet, so I can always change it in the future if I have to. So I did that, so that was quite cool. I'm glad to have actually done a bit of work adding features to it rather than just trying to fix things for people. Cool. And uh, yeah, so I'm glad to have. Uh, I'm hoping to keep it up. Another thing I'm doing is, um, so I partner with uh, Daniel on the PHP mentoring program thing, 
and we do a weekly call uh, for, just for half an hour and we just we, sometimes we just chat but the other thing we're going to start doing is pairing on things so he's going to we're going to pair together on mockery uh not every week but i think we are going to do tomorrow i don't know what we're going to try and fix or or improve on it but uh it's kind of cool, cool. to because it's nice to pair program with somebody and it means mockery's getting some work done to it so, yeah. Oh, and also, because I'm adding new functionality to Mockery, I actually started writing a blog post, which will be my first one since 2012. Um, so, <laughs> nice. yeah. Uh, I've done what I usually do, though. I've, I've put down the bulk of the actual post, and then I've read through it, and I didn't really like large chunks of it. And then I kind of, because I didn't like large chunks of it, and I didn't want to do any editing or changing around... Or trying to fill gaps where I've said put some source code here, mm-hmm. uh, I've just left it. So that's kind of been sat down, sat there for two days now, and I really should go back and try and fix it mm-hmm. up. But I don't know, finding time and finding the enthusiasm to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, something else that was uh, caught my eye that I was going to mention them. The um, there was a whole Twitter storm between people. Uh, this week in our community, which I don't think we need to go into, but one of the participants actually put a blog post out. Uh, it was just a list of people, PHP developers who have inspired him recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was Taylor Otwell. I thought it was quite a nice thing to do. It didn't take, I'm sure it didn't take a lot of effort, uh, but it was quite nice for him to literally write down the people who've inspired him recently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that was, I, I, I Did saw you, that as well. I thought that was pretty nice. Yeah, and it's, it doesn't take much effort to do, does it? I mm-hmm. think I'd actually struggled to write down who because I think I get inspired in very small amounts by lots and lots of different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of hard to pinpoint a few names individually. Yeah. Uh, but as a as a community, we could probably do with a little bit more of that and a little bit less of the shouting on Twitter at each other. Yeah. Oh, by the way, did you did you uh, join in on PHP Jeopardy yesterday, or was that after you? I was sort of that was after um, my so, working day had finished, or mostly anyway. Uh, and it was kind of, to be honest, I every I looked at Twitter and saw it was going on, but it was a bit. It was almost like my timeline was just full of stuff, and I didn't really know. <laughs> yeah. Where to start, if you see what I mean? I was just like, uh, I'll just leave them to it. Yeah. I saw you were involved, yeah. uh, but I didn't really follow. Yeah, I, I jumped on at some point and answered a couple of questions. I think I I think I think won a couple of times, won a couple of answers. There were a couple of times that the the, the question was contested, and but it was a lot of fun. I, I, I really like uh, I really like Jeremy's ability to do awesome stuff on Twitter. <laughs> Like he's really, really good at PR stuff. Like with the whole worst con thing. Yes. Like um, one of uh, I don't remember who sent the tweet, but someone said that uh, worst con had the best social media presence of any PHP conference ever, <laughs> and that PHP conference organizers should take note. And I thought it was really true because sometimes you know there's absolutely no social media buzz or very little social media buzz except for. You know, some of the participants, you know, some of the, the attendees or some of the speakers, you know, pushing a conference or whatever, you know, they might have like a scheduled sponsor tweet, you know, every half an hour during the day or whatever. But, 
you know, actually driving the conversation and, and making sure everyone knows what's going on and making sure everyone's having a good time and including everybody. And I haven't seen too many conferences do that a lot. And, you know, I probably haven't paid super close attention to all of them except the ones that I've been to. Yeah. Um, and even then, you you can't actually pay that much attention because you're yeah. that you're you're there and you you're in the middle of it. So, yeah. But yeah, he he has a he has a really great way of just getting people rallied around something fun and exciting, um, which I think not just on Twitter though, is it? it you, yeah, you know, it, yeah. in person on Twitter on yeah through whatever medium. I think uh, he's got a, yeah. a knack for that. Yeah. Yeah, um, I didn't really. I, I I've been trying to stay out of any of the drama stuff lately. Um, yeah, I don't. We don't really need to talk about it too much. But yeah, it's it can be draining, and I just I I don't have the time for to engage in any of that anymore. Yeah. Well, I I I I kept up with the conversation largely as it went through. Um, mm-hmm. but I say. That, I don't get, I never get involved with the dramas. Um, mm-hmm. although, um, you could say that. So this started off with one person making quite, quite a provocative statement. And then, um, another person replied and literally replied with lol, basically. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. actually favorited that because I thought perfect response. If someone was having a dig at something. Yeah. Of mine and I didn't really want to get involved. I might just say lol. Yeah. And then move on. Unfortunately, though, we didn't just move on. He actually started replying, and that's how the whole yeah. sort of argument kicked off. Um, but yeah, like I say, I don't think we need to go into it. And mm-hmm. Better left alone. Uh, speaking of controversy and drama, uh, we can switch to a different medium, which would be uh, the PHP Fig. Yep. Uh, there's a. Uh, since we recorded last, PSR 7 has sort of kicked off again quite a yes. bit yeah I've um which is which is pretty exciting for me i i know we've talked about this a little bit off and on um i don't know i don't know what what the the end result is going to be i think that um i don't know what do you, what do you think i am um, i don't know it's really I mean, even just the a little bit of conversation I saw today or yesterday confused me a little bit. Um, I think, so, Taylor again from Laravel, he uh, asked about cookies being uh, mutable because when he first looked, I think there was only a getter for the cookies mm-hmm. on the response, no setter, something like that. And um it kind of like some of the talk was along the lines of, well, you could use a decorator, so you could decorate the request and responses in order to make that applicable in your application. And I thought, well, how does that work? You know, how are we going to make, you know, reusable middlewares if we have to decorate the request and response, you know, with our own code? Mm-hmm. So that was confusing me. And I just see things like that just going to go on and on. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I I'm worried about the amount of effort that gets goes into it and then the eventual uptake. Um, I don't know. I, just, I, d- I haven't followed it enough to appreciate, I don't think. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually one of the sponsors of PSR 7, and I don't know. I'm not really sure what my role is supposed to be. Um, 
you know, in the past, I've I've actively engaged PHP fig quite a bit, uh, especially during PSR four and probably in the the early days and middle days of the cache proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, at a certain point, uh, the HTTP proposal, like I just realized that it doesn't matter really what I think. Um, like at this level, like at this point, you know, I don't think that my voice is going to really be needed. Um, like I think that a couple of people who have really good ideas can work together and chances are I'm going to be in line with whatever they come up with. Um, unless something looks like really, really wrong, but like arguing these little tiny details, like I, I, I lost so much time on PSR four arguing like one or two words of the spec and with PSR seven, you know, I, I feel like everyone has a good idea of what this should look like. And someone just needs to do the work to actually write it down. And whoever the editor is needs to be the person wrangling that, um, I don't know. It's I'm I guess I'm just trying something different this time by not being as vocal on it until I get to until there gets to be a point where it's important for other people to look at it and say, okay, does this look good now? Um, but in the actual design process, I don't know. Going back and forth, changing little bits and pieces here. I guess I I don't have as much time for that as I did last year, um, which is sort of like not getting involved in the drama. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole design by committee thing, isn't it? I just, mm-hmm. I just worry that it's just too much, so much time goes into it. Yeah. I mean, you know, my opinion is, I don't know why everyone can't use HTTP foundation, you know, mm-hmm. there's so many projects using it. But yeah. I, I just, you know, the, the whole thing, you look at the other communities and, uh, you know, everyone talks about rack, you know, no one sat down and really hashed out this, Design by committee spec for rack. It just happened, you know. Mm-hmm. People just got on with it. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I. So, so even there, like, like stack would would be similar to rack in the sense that that wasn't really a design by committee thing, at least not a very large committee. And you know, it it was it set out with the goal of being able to make middlewares that worked with any HTTP foundation application. Um, and for the for the most part, it does work. And I, I'm I'm a little so Laravel five is not going to be using stack middlewares anymore. Yeah, um, I'll tell that. On on one hand, I don't care. I think that's that's fine. They should be able to do whatever they want to. And but on the other hand, it frustrates me a great deal that just about the time that PSR seven starts rolling around and people are getting interested in middlewares, just about the time that my stack talk is starting to get picked up. To actually show people, hey, Laravel 4 has this built in. It's a first class citizen in Laravel 4. Every single Laravel application has at least three stack middlewares on every request. It's like a big selling point. It's a huge thing to show that mm. working together in this way um, can be a really huge benefit to the community. And I'm, I'm finally able to, to start getting that message out there. And now it's like, oh, yeah, not anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it, it was like it was like one step forward. Now it's like, you know, three quarters a step back. Um, so I mean, it's it's great that every that 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 Taylor is like 
moving this this forward. And in a lot of ways, it's really similar to what Matthew Werofini is looking for as well in middlewares. Um, so it's I see things going forward, and I, I've 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 actually said to a lot of people that I don't see Stack as being a long term project. Like I would rather see like I would rather see something like uh, PSR seven take off and have just PHP middlewares and not stack middlewares. And it doesn't really matter if it's stack or not to me. Um, I would like to see uh, that HTTP abstraction be global for all of PHP as opposed to, you know, within the silos. Hmm. But I don't know. I feel like the the case has become less solid now for what stack was trying to do if people tried it for a while and have moved on to something else and are going back into silos again, which is a little, it's a little disheartening, especially with like all of the forward momentum I feel right now with, with what stack's trying to do. Yeah. But I mean, I'm again on the fence about that really, because part of the, now, so with the whole PSR seven, they're trying to do both client and server effectively, aren't they? With the, the messaging, am I right? Uh, well, they're, yeah, the, the message, yeah. the messages are supposed to represent both client and server requests and responses. Yeah. <clears throat> so they're essentially siloing themselves again from, you know, stack is there. Stack has been there for a while, mm-hmm. but the figure doing their own thing. Taylor's right. now doing their own thing. And we're probably just going to be back to where we were. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't see Symphony changing to adopt PSR 7 in terms of incoming and outcoming. Can you? No, I was actually going to ask you that as well. I, I mean, that's making a big assumption on the on the part of, you know, Symphony Core. Um, one would, I, I would hope that if Zend and Aura and whoever else decided that, yes, this is, we're going to standardize on the interface for request and response that symphony would follow suit. Um, but I don't know that I don't know the symphony would, I, I mean, for that matter, I don't know if aura or, or Zen would, I think aura probably would because they're, they're actively, you know, Paul's pretty into, um, the standards and actually implementing them, especially if he has a hand in creating them and whatnot. So, um, I, I imagine that Aura would. Um, I guess there's probably a pretty good chance that Zend would as well. I think um, so, but, yeah. But yeah, I don't know if, if Symphony would. And yeah, I don't I don't know that if I've seen Bernard super active on any of the HTTP messaging stuff. I haven't really paid attention to that. But, you know, if Symphony 3 is already well underway before PSR 7 is finalized, which is likely... <laughs> um, then yeah, I I don't imagine that. I mean, Symphony three isn't going to support PSR seven. Yeah, I mean, basically, somebody will need to write an adapter for Symphony, mm-hmm. and and you know, which is kind of like one of the arguments for having PSR seven, right? In that we don't yeah. have to write, you know, we don't want to use Stack because we'd have to, uh, we'd <laughs> have to write um, an adapter from our HTTP abstraction to Symphony's. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that um, when when I talk with with Matthew about it at Madison PHP, I think his ideal, which 
you know, I don't know if this is, this would ever happen would be that if PSR, something like PSR seven happens where many of the frameworks are actually actively using it, that it would eventually someday be something that could be part of PHP. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if we could get this nice abstraction to the point where it's not actually maintained by a framework anymore, but is built into PHP, then it, you don't even have to worry about relying on, you know, third-party interfaces. You wouldn't have to include PSR HTTP, for example, yeah. and implementing those interfaces, um, which but, I think would be, I think that's a, a really good goal, but I don't so. know how realistic that is. Yeah, very admirable, but not very yeah. realistic for me. Um just upgrading to newer versions of PHPs can be difficult for some. Yeah. Uh, so never mind being able to upgrade, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, I I don't think I can run my app on PHP 5.6 because Doctrine uh, isn't compatible, Doctrine ORM, because mm-hmm. of the weird serialization changes and things. I might not be too clear on that, but yeah. And that's interesting because I don't think the planning to do release 2.5 of Doctrine for some time. So until they mm. do, I don't think there's a PHP 5.6 support. I might be wrong, but... Hmm. Yeah, I knew there were some, some serialization issues, but I thought those had been fixed somewhere. Oh, well, they fixed them in the point releases in 5.4, 5.5, mm-hmm. but they made the change permanently in 5.6, I think. Hmm. I think, anyway. Something like that. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean... PSR 7 sounds like a, an admirable thing for me, but I'm just interested. I just worry that, like I say, so much time gets sunk into it mm-hmm. for how much gain. I don't know. I mean, Guzzle probably said that. Okay, Michael said Guzzle probably won't bother with it, didn't he? Something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. There's another massive project that said they won't bother with it. I personally don't think Symphony will bother with it that much. Mm-hmm. Um and, and the other thing with figures, PSR zero, they're pushing to deprecate it. Yeah, the weird vote. thing with me, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what what the point with that is. Yeah, so I'm trying to look busy. But <laughs> yes, I I think that I I don't I don't fully understand Phil's deal with that. And actually, I I noticed either today or last night, uh, he he opened up the vote for it. Right. And there have been so many people who have wanted to make changes to PSR zero and we can't, we can't is what we keep getting told. You can't make any changes yet. Here we are deprecating for no apparent good reason that I can think of. We're actually modifying the text to PSR zero to deprecate it in favor of PSR four. Yeah. I I don't, it, my, my stance on it is that PSR zero as far as I'm concerned, is the only real big thing that Fig has done that has gotten wide-scale adoption. It has had some, you know, detraction from some of the, the, the minor edge case issues that the, the spec had. Um, PSR 1, PSR 2, either you love it or you hate it, but that's like 50%. <laughs> you know, 50% of the people that know about that spec either love it or hate it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, PSR 3, all right. I mean, that's that's cool. I know that a lot of people are using it. I don't know how super important that one is. You know, uh, it, it's like the others to me. Like, PSR 1, sorry, PSR 0 was the uh, auto-loading, right? 
Yeah. And it wasn't effectively exactly the same as the pair auto loading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was already using the pair auto loading. Well, I mean, I don't know if it was exactly like a pair. I don't. I don't know. I, I wouldn't yeah, say it's well, exactly okay. like pair auto. Yeah. Okay, so how Zen Framework auto loading? Mm-hmm. You know, it was that underscores yeah. map to folder. Yep. Yep. So I was already doing that anyway. Yep. Um, PSR one. I was already coding like that anyway. Mm. PSR 2 might have a few weird things that I wasn't doing, and to be honest, I don't care. I don't read it. I don't Mm. stick to it anyway. Uh, PSR 3, I was already using Monolog, so I'm pretty sure the interface is matched up exactly to how I was using it anyway. Mm. So all I started doing was type hints into the PSR logger interface rather than the Monolog logger interface. Uh, So it really didn't really affect me, and... And so, I, um, because I was already doing all that stuff anyway, I haven't, probably haven't noticed the impact it's had, if you see what I mean, if, if that makes yeah. sense. Because yeah. the, the ecosystem I was in was doing a lot of that stuff anyway. I use a lot of Symfony components, and I use Symfony, uh, Silux as a framework, which is already using Monolog, mm-hmm. if you see what I mean. Um, so, yeah, I don't really know. I think it's a good thing. I'm just saying I don't know how much... Of an impact it made. And like you say, PSR zero probably is the biggest and most widespread and most agreed upon. Yeah. Standard. And, and PSR four is, is better in some ways, but like my, my, my response anytime this has come up has been, what's the rush? You know, let's wait yeah. three years. Let's wait two years. Let's wait a year. You know, um, PSR zero has been around since 2009, I think. And PSR four has been around for less than a year. You know, I don't see any need to get rid of it now. Like I don't see any reason for it to be around forever. Sure. Let's deprecate it someday, but it still has uses and it's still widely used. I don't see any harm in letting it stay around non-deprecated and so that and that's the big issue that i see is that the um the people the people uh the people who are for deprecating it think that the rest of us don't understand what deprecation means yeah and i i don't <laughs> i don't think it means that we're going to remove it from the face of the earth i don't think it means that everything's going to stop working if we deprecate it i know what it means you know and i know what it means in this case it's that we want to push people towards psr4 but I don't, I don't see the, the case of someone coming to the FIG website and seeing PSR0 and PSR4 and looking at them and being confused as to which one they should use. First of all, if they choose either of them, great. <laughs> it's going to work for them. If they happen to choose PSR4 because, hey, 4 must be newer, I mean, that's just a logical thing. Like, I don't understand why we have to go in and actually say PSR0 is deprecated. I really don't. So I, I haven't voted yet. I think Sculpin's probably... I, I'm really leaning towards voting negative one just because I don't think... I, I really don't think that it's necessary. And I don't think it matters. Yeah. My negative one isn't going to matter because no, everyone I, else seems in favor I, of it. But I'm pretty sure everyone else will vote plus one. And it's one of yeah. those things where you're just simply recording your disagreement. Yeah, you know? uh, It's kind of like... Uh, the other thing for me is we usually deprecate something with a view to permanently getting rid of it. Yeah. So 
is there a plan for that or is it literally just we just depre- we want to say it's deprecated because we recommend this other thing right i think that's probably the case because i mean i so don't it's, imagine so it's no longer recommended rather than right. deprecated isn't it mm-hmm. i think yep. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Can you deprecate something indefinitely? I mean, with Symphony, I'm used to the Symphony community of the ecosystem, and when we deprecate things in Symphony, we start triggering PHP warnings, don't we? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, that that's something that I'll have to be looking at. I don't know. It, it's I I just feel like it's our only win. <laughs> PHP figs biggest win. And to deprecate it in favor of something new that a lot of people didn't want anyway. It's just like, eh. Yeah, I mean, PSR 4 doesn't really, doesn't really excite me. I don't, mm-hmm. Okay, so the discrepancies that it got rid of, it could be considered a good thing, yes. But have you ever had a problem with the PSR 0 discrepancies? No. No, neither have I. Um, nope. Anyway, uh, oh, and could, I suppose there could... is the shortening, cutting out a couple of the folders. But to be honest, now yeah. GitHub does that. PSR four is kind of <laughs> redundant for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that I now that I'm using a GUI a little bit more, like I can see the the, the clicking many directories in in your in your GUI. But mm. I, I mean, it still doesn't seem to be a big issue to me. So, yeah. but then I mean, that you... that was ne- never a big issue for me. But if GitHub have done what they've done, you know, the folder squashing, whatever it's called, mm-hmm. you, you yeah. could do that quite easily as well. You know? Yeah. 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 So, so PSR4 for me, um, I had a contributor that we've talked about in the past that contributed a change, which was basically migrating a library from PSR0 to PSR4. And so in the process, they, um, for, for anyone who doesn't know, you can migrate from PSR zero to PSR four, um, by simply, uh, adding the rest of the directory structure to the end of the source path. So if you had like, uh, foo bar, uh, for PSR zero and you had it in the source directory to change it from, for composer to change it to PSR four, you change it from PSR zero to PSR four and then add foo slash bar after source. And you don't have to change anything. So if someone were to come and update my library to be PSR4 compatible and did that, that would be great. But they came in and basically moved all of the folders. Yeah. And it's like, no, <laughs> don't do that. Like, I I want to choose that. Like, don't don't come in and force PSR4 on me in that way. Like, if I want to make my directory shorter, great. But one of the things I actually really liked about PSR0 and the pair and all those other people who did this in the past was the one-to-one mapping of directory to file name, or directory to namespace and file name. Um, Absolutely, yeah. It's it's a huge thing for me to be able to know exactly. I'm going to go through this directory structure, and I know where the file is. If you remove those directories from me for, for whatever reason... Um, it's not useful. So I, I had to reject that PR. I'm like, no, like if you want to, if you want to make it PSR four, great, but don't, yeah. if you're, if you want to make it PSR four, so those directories go away, I'm going to reject it yeah. because yeah. Also, I'm not convinced that that wouldn't be a backwards compatibility break. Um, I think everyone's composer is probably up to date at this point to support PSR four, but 
I don't know. What, what do you think? Do you think moving a library from PSR zero to PSR four, where it's literally just changing? I, this library is now PSR four. <laughs> just changing, you, actually moving the files off. I, not actually moving the files. No, the changing the composer config is fine to me. I think mm-hmm. that, that's BC enough for me. It's, I think yeah. it's. Like, I think it's like. Uh, perfectly fine to expect people to use a reasonably up-to-date version of Composer. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving the files is definitely a BC break for me. Yeah. Uh, because putting in your Composer JSON file that the standard to use is PSR 4 isn't very mm-hmm. clear. I don't know. Previously, if people aren't using Composer's autoloader with your library, they're using their own autoloader, they would need to change it, right? So, I don't know. So, actually, uh, this this actually brings up something that happened just yesterday. Um, uh, with one of my clients, they they had uh, a library that had been PSR zero, and um, we brought that library into the application um, at dev, specifically so that they could have um, the development uh, the the VCS stuff brought in with it because they wanted to make some changes. So in the morning, when I added the dependency um, to Composer JSON and where the Composer lock was, um, they were still at PSR zero. Um, on their own, uh, they had gone in and made a bunch of changes and in the process upgraded the package to PSR four and moved the directories. Um, right. Committed those things and then uh, went back into the application went into the vendor directory and did a git up or get did a git uh, git merge to get their changes um, yep. and all of a sudden the application stopped working and it took longer than it probably should have to figure out what the problem was because the classes weren't being found anymore specifically you know, basically this problem like the composer still thought it was psr0 because composer lock and the the, the autoload files all had psr0 expected yeah. the files to be in a certain location and now they've gone in and, and didn't really realize that they had changed anything that massive um, and by hand updated, updated their, their dependency to the newest dev dependency, which was now PSR4, with the folders all removed. So, I mean, it is... That that for sure, I feel like, is a BC break because, I mean, that's that happened just yesterday with, with someone. So, mm. um, so I mean, the, the fix was that they had to basically either undo PSR zero or do a get uh, or do a composer update on that package to get it to the version that had PSR four so that the autoloader would be created correctly. And then they could go in and start making their changes again. But yeah, that kind of problem, you know, you, you make those changes without thinking about it and can have massive, massive impact on other people's code. So, yeah, well, I mean, I say it's, I, I say it's, Perfectly fine to expect people to use an up-to-date version of Composer, but you shouldn't also assume that people are using Composer's autoloader. Mm-hmm. Basically, should you? I mean, some people think it's slow for a start. Mm-hmm. People might literally just be using the old-fashioned require. Mm-hmm. Um, so by changing that, I think you are breaking compatibility. Yeah, in a, in a very slim and minor way, but it's not like you're changing a massive public API. But still, mm-hmm. you are breaking. Um. Just going back to that um, nice one-to-one mapping thing. Um, I used to, Vim 
I have Vim set up to switch between production and test files on me on key presses. And I also have it set up, you know, snippets so that when you, you know, I can type class and it'll fill the right class name in. Mm-hmm. Now, previously, I could get Vim to do that just based on the path of the current file. But now I need Vim to read the composer JSON file to try and work out what namespace this class should have based, you know, based on yeah. the, I'd literally have to read over the autoloaders to work out. Whereas yeah. previously that didn't happen. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of bothered me a little bit about PSR4. Yeah. It, yes, it was a bit weird when you had long folder structures, but to be honest, these days I'm making, my trees are getting much wider and less deep all the time. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know. I was quite happy to deal with those folders. Well, I still am because I still use PSR zero for everything. I don't, if mm. I did, if I did use four, I'd just do it the PSR zero style. Yep, that's mapping. all of my new projects are that way. Yeah, I mean it's it's PSR four, but I'm still using the the traditional PSR zero directory layout. Yeah. Um. So, uh, one of my projects needs a UI. So yep. I've been trying to figure out if I'm going to go the traditional controller and view, HTML view thing, or if I'm going to try something new. So I've decided I'm going to try Angular. So yep. that's going to be a fun little fun little thing. Um, I had a couple of people suggest some tools for getting started, and I think, I think it was Matthew Wirofini that uh, suggested the, the code school. Um, there's a shaping up with Angular course. Have you ever done any of the online courses for learning languages? No, I, I was considering one the other day, uh, but it said it required like ten to. It was a course. Is it Coursera? Um, and mm-hmm. it was a course uh, programming languages, and it was going to be a study of all different programming languages and uh, the things that make up for them. And, mm-hmm. uh, but it said it required ten to sixteen hours a week, and I was like, oh, I can't do that. So yeah, I ought to look to something a little bit more. In your own time. Yeah, this was this was awesome. Uh, it was uh, CodeSchool.com. Um, I've never done anything like this, and I was kind of blown away by how nice it was. Um, they had a pretty healthy mix of video, followed by um, what's the, uh, by channel. They called them challenges, or it's actually like live coding exercises, and like had all the debugging there. Told you exactly what you needed to do. Would tell you if you did something wrong. We give you hints. If you weren't doing something, if you weren't doing something quite right, um, yeah, I was. If that's how people are learning to code these days, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so even this morning, I was thinking, what other languages or what other things can I learn? Maybe they have a Go. Like I've been wanting to learn Go for quite a while or Closure. Um, maybe I could see if they have any of those available and just walk through a couple of things. Mm. Um, so it seemed really, really, really cool. So I'm, I'm excited to try Angular on this other project and see how that goes. So what made you decide on Angular? Um, uh, let's see, what's the biggest reason? Mostly probably familiarity with people who have used it. Um, uh, one of the one of the client projects that I'm working on, the, the front end there is Angular, and they've been able to do quite a bit with it. Um, I haven't actually seen it. Uh, when I talked to uh, Matthias at Symphony Live, um, I asked him about... Asked about domain-driven design stuff on the front end, because almost all of the domain-driven design stuff that I've seen has dealt with like the back-end systems, 
and they usually leave the front end out of it entirely. Um, and I was just kind of curious to know what, what his take was on that. Um, and he, he said that he had built an Angular app front end for something and had a whole separate base, basically sounded like it was its own domain model to handle the front end concerns as well. Um, and then there was the interaction with the back end, which had its own domain model. Um, so yeah, I, that was probably the the big reasons for me was a couple of the projects that I'd worked on had used it. Um, and just a little bit that I'd heard about, I think backbone sounded like it was more bare metal sort of thing. It didn't provide as much. So it was more work to actually do stuff with it. Um, but Angular sounded like it had a few more conventions or a few more tools that let you do things. Um, so I don't know. I, that was that was the big thing for me. And I think someone had said Ember was, um, I think the tweet said, very, very, very opinionated, but pretty nice. <laughs> right. It had, one, it had three too many uh, varies on the opinionated <laughs> side for me to really want to jump into that. Yeah. I mean, I haven't done anything with any of them. Uh, I've briefly looked at them all, but um, mm-hmm. I plan on looking at React.js at some point, mm-hmm. just because everyone... People I've talked to talk about the performance is fantastic and it's um, a little bit more piecemeal. You know, you can use it on a page rather mm-hmm. than, it. you know, it's not necessarily for full-blown applications. So I could yeah. you know, use it like I use jQuery or just normal jQuery on my own uh, mm-hmm. on a page. Is, so. is, is, does React f- fill the same sort of role as Angular or is it something that's complementary to Angular? I think it's complementary, but I'm not entirely sure myself okay i'm sure you can build full apps with it okay well one of the um one of the pages that i was looking at that had some other tutorials talked about using react with angular so i wasn't quite sure what that what it's what its role was um i'd like to i'd like to figure out how to do some testing with it as well um because i i haven't done a lot of front-end testing in the past and it would be kind of nice to have some something there so it'll be a fun adventure but i don't have a lot of time to to really do it which is the big reason why i was thinking about not going that route um just because i need to make sure and get some forward momentum on these projects and not get mired in in learning a new new language true um just just in the first so I, i basically did all six courses um the the video had um a speed I've tried to listen to podcasts at higher speeds and anything over 1.5 speed is too distracting for me because it's way too fast. Um, but they had a video speed that went up to three X. Um, and I think I, I started at 1.5 X and finished at either two, uh, I think it was two X, uh, where it was really, really, really fast, but kind of like your, your 16 hour course. Um, if you could (laughs) shrink that down to eight hours, it would be kind of nice. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I ended up getting through it a little faster than I would have otherwise, um, just by being able to take advantage of tools like that. Where, so I thought that was nice that they added that, that I could slow it down if I wanted to um, pay more attention in a certain area. But if it was just boilerplate stuff, talking about stuff that I could quick catch quickly, I could just make it go really quick. So yeah, that sounds really good. Um, um, the ones I'm familiar with, the Treehouse, but is Code School free or is it? Um, well, so the, the, the course that I took was shaping up with Angular, um, or shaping up with Angular JS, and that one was free. Right. And that was, I think it was five, 
five sessions or something like that. And it was, it was really pretty nice. I, yeah. I haven't seen the ones that cost anything, so I don't know what the deal is. Maybe they only show you the ones that are free unless you pay. Um, so I need, I need to look into it a little bit more, yeah. but I also can't get stuck on it. <laughs> I need yeah. to, um, Gosh, yeah. I, I was looking to see if they had other Angular projects. And it looks like there's an upcoming one, like a more advanced version of Angular. So, yeah, uh, there was well, some advertisements or not advertisements, but like sponsorship messaging at the end. Um, nice. And then I started to notice it was in the header as well, pretty subtly. Yeah. Um, I think it was sponsored by Google, right? which might be why this particular course was free. Yeah. Um, at the end, it sounded like that's what they were saying at the very end of it, like listening to like the outro. Um uh, they they had like a they they had um, two people sitting at the end talking about how they created the course and whatever. Um, it sounded like at that point they were saying that uh, thanks to Google for making this free or whatever. There, I think there were maybe two sponsors, but Google was definitely one of them. Yeah, well, I know um, Treehouse do. I think you you have to pay for that. Um, mm-hmm. Plural site. The thing is, plural sites. I think is just uh, screencasts. Um, it might be the same with Treehouse, actually. I'm not exactly sure. I don't know. Oh, they, they do have challenges on, on Treehouse. And um, Treehouse, you pay $25 a month for access to their catalog. Uh, I'm mm. not sure how much Plural Sites is, but like I said, Plural Sites is just screencasts, uh, although some of those are really good. Uh, cool. I don't I, I don't know of any others. But, yeah, I might check out Code School because I could do with um, a bit of a change. And I, I keep delving. I mean, you said about Go. Um, I mean, I've played with Go... But that's all I ever seem to do. I just play a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And then what I usually do is play a little bit. And then I give myself some challenge that's too, too big. Um, like, <laughs> yeah. I started writing a, a shadow proxy in Elixir. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to read, like, a cowboy, which is a, um, a HTTP server in Erlang to get ideas and stuff. And it was just too much, too quickly. I, I'd done quite a bit of, you know, learn me some airline for great good. And, but it was, I just took that, I, I read a bit, played a little bit, got excited and then bit off more than I could chew. And it just meant I just gave up, you know, and, and didn't mm-hmm. do anything with it. Uh, so I could probably do with some sort of managed learning, I think. Yeah. So I'll give it a try and have a look around. Cool. So the, the thing that I liked about Angular so far, um, but also the thing that I'm not quite too sure about. Um, I, I in the past I'd worked with something called Knockout. Have you have you played with Knockout or heard about it? I've heard about it. Yeah, I've not played with it. Yeah, it it was like it was the MVVM thing. Yeah, uh, model view view model, which I don't know if that's what Angular would be considered, but it sort of felt very similar. Um, the the hardest time I have with these things is the fact that you're serving non-standard HTML. And you're yep. embedding all of these directives and weird attributes in the code that it's it's not progressive enhancement. <laughs> it's yeah. like you're serving stuff that has to be interpreted by JavaScript. And I really still don't know how I feel about that. Um, so I, I do know there are people who intentionally browse the web with JavaScript disabled. You yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm just happy to leave those people behind, I'm afraid. Yeah. Like they're yeah. kind of like elitist. I don't. You shouldn't have to have JavaScript to view your site. But what yeah. do they well, see in that case? They see really weird HTML, and I I don't know. 
I still don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> um, I haven't actually deployed anything like that ever, so we'll have to see how that goes. Yeah, I guess it's. Um, I mean, I don't know how. How about that? How about are the directives? Are they just? Do they, are they HTML attributes? Are they HTML uh, well, comments? In some, in some cases, they're just um, attributes. Um, basically, the syntax looks like Twig. So it'd be like serving raw twig where you have like right, the double curly braces with product dot price pipe uh, price or, you know, or price, you know, you're basically doing the filter out to the price filter that will do that. So what you're actually serving to the user, if JavaScript isn't enabled, would be double curly brackets, price, pipe, price. Um, so, I mean, it, it's really raw and I, I guess as long as it's always interpreted and always works, I'm sure it looks fine. Um, you can create completely custom directives, uh, which basically is creating your own HTML tags mm-hmm. or your own HTML attributes, depending on which way you want to go with the directive, apparently. Because uh, you can create both. You can create an attribute or you can create an, ele- uh, an element. Um, so you could have a page just full of basically your own HTML tags that are empty <laughs> that get populated by other yeah. stuff later. Yeah, well, sounds cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing with it, but yeah. it's, it's just different front-end stuff that I haven't worked with in the past. So, um, In the process of learning Angular, I, I came up with a project. I, I found a project that I'm surprised I hadn't heard of before. Have you heard of Dash? Um, it's the basically um, offline documentation. Yes, I have heard of it. Is it Mac it, only? I think it might be Mac only. Yeah, I I'm think not. that's why I sort of dismissed it at the time. Okay. Um, it's uh, Capelli K A P K A P E L I dot com. Yep. Um, yeah, it's really really cool. Like they have like PHP documentation, WordPress documentation. Um, Angular, JavaScript, jQuery, like basically the full documentation for pretty much any of the big programming languages or libraries are there. Um, which, you know, I think about how many times I've been at a coffee shop where the internet didn't work or at a hotel where the internet didn't work. And I feel like I basically can't do anything because I can't look up, you know, is it, <laughs> is it haystack needle or needle haystack? <laughs> You yeah. know, those those sorts of things where just being able to quickly, you know, search those things online is really nice. But if you don't have internet, you're kind of stuck. So um, anyway, so I thought that was kind of a, a cool find. Um, so I now I, I have all of the Angular documentation locally, along with pretty much every other programming language that I've ever thought I might want to learn. <laughs> I downloaded yeah. all of the documentation for pretty much everything. So Yeah, I think it's a good idea. I thought... I'm pretty sure I actually installed something on my Linux box that was similar, uh, that was open mm-hmm. source, uh, and it worked all right. But to be honest, I just found myself, it was my desktop machine, so very rarely did I, did I not yeah. have a decent internet connection. I do usually have a tab open to devdocs.io, which is a mm. a nice front end to lots and lots of different uh, documentation things. Um mm-hmm. But it does require an internet connection. But yeah, it just means you can search through everything all at once. It's kind of yeah. nice. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm on the Mac at the minute while we're recording, but I tend to do most of my work on my Linux machine. And then 
I have the Mac for when I want to work downstairs, like if I'm mm-hmm. keeping an eye on the kids or every now and then I just feel like working downstairs or sometimes if I'm working on the evening, I'll go work downstairs in the living room just so I can you know, sit with my wife, even though she's usually watching telly or doing something else entirely. At least I'm mm-hmm. with company. Uh, how how well do you work with TV noise? I work absolutely fine. Um, yeah. I do sometimes get sucked in. Uh, fine, I was getting very frustrated with myself last night. My wife's um, she's working her way through uh, Grey's Anatomy, and I can't think <laughs> of a, a worse program to watch. To be honest, but I I kept finding myself watching, and it's one of those things where I don't really fully pay attention, but I know yeah. all of the characters. Yeah, and uh, and it's like. Um, I think last night I actually said, why, 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 why has she got a, a, a prosthetic leg? And I'd, I'd missed this massive plot line where yeah. there was a plane crash or something. And, yeah. Uh, and I kept doing that and I, I was getting frustrated with myself last night because I kept peering over the top of my laptop and looking at that. So it really does depend on what my wife's watching. And yeah. Sometimes I do get, find myself getting sucked into things. I mean, it's like, um, and strictly come dancing. I think you would call it dancing with the stars. Um, mm-hmm. my wife absolutely adores it. She loves it. And mm-hmm. I find it of all the reality things like uh, X Factor and we have a thing called Britain's Got Talent and, mm-hmm. uh, The Voice and all these things. I find the dancing one most appealing and I don't yeah. mind watching it, but I don't think I'd ever watch it if Rebecca wasn't watching it. Yeah. Uh, so there's quite a few programs like that. And even the soap operas that Rebecca watches, although she doesn't watch them as much as she used to. I found mm. that, that I re- I know most of the characters just through it being on, even if I'm yeah. reading my book or something. So, yeah, my um, I I think we talked before about the fact that I can't hear voices while I'm working very mm. well, like like um with like music too. Like very often, if music has too many vocals in it, uh, if songs have too many vocals, um, it's really difficult for me to focus. Yeah. So, um, I have I have problems with. TV in the background for that reason, just because it's so distracting to me that I get, if it's interesting, I get sucked into it. And if I don't get interesting, it annoys me. So, yeah. no, no, uh, yeah, I don't have that annoying bit. I'm quite mm-hmm. happy to have voices on. I can't listen to podcasts because I want to give the podcast my attention and I can't yeah. while I'm working. Yeah. Um, I quite often put some, um, like classic or old films that I like on during the day that I just have those background noise. That uh, mm-hmm. doesn't bother me one bit um, in fact um, Andrea Butoff from the Bootstrapped uh, FM podcast he commented the other day he said that um, Netflix had uh, dropped all of the uh, Mythbusters mm. streams because they had loads of series on and he said that was something he liked to put on while he was working because it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. but goofy and you don't really need to pay much attention you know yeah um, but I end up putting things like Star Wars on or something like that, yeah. um, just because it's noise. I know it. I know it. I don't need to follow mm. it, uh, and it makes a change from just music. I think. Yeah. But yeah, I don't have a problem working. Say, if most of the time, if other people are around or mm-hmm. watching telly, uh, I mean, I even manage to work when the kids are around. It's it's a little bit distracting, you know. Quite often they come in and grabbing yeah. you and wanting you to come and do this, come and do that, and you kind of kind mm. of have to shake them off like <laughs> a wild animal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I think my kids might be back soon. Well, how long have we been recording? 
Oh, hour and 25. Is there anything else you want to discuss? Um, no, I don't think so. I think I'm good. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll call it a show. I mean, we, we didn't really prepare much, so we probably done all right to do an hour and 25 minutes. Yep, sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Bo. All right, we'll call it a wrap. You've been listening to That Podcast with Bo and Dave. You can find Bo on Twitter and Google Plus at Bo Simonson and Dave on Twitter at Dave Development. You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox. Like the music? You can thank Gorillo for allowing us to sample the track Dust Kingdom for our intro and outro. You can find Dust Kingdom and other tracks by Grillo at grillo.bandcamp.com, spelled G-R-I-L-L-O.